Well, as you're turning to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, I was uh, reminded and, and thinking about the idea of, of the backstory. You know, there's always a fascination with the backstory. You read a book, and the book so, uh, so defines and, and describes these characters that you want to know more about them. So then they make more books about the, the subplot and the other people, or they do movies and, you know, they make more movies because you, you know, Star Wars isn't enough. You got to know, you know, like Han Solo, you know, what's his deal? You know, so there's always this fascination with deeper insights, uh, which is good. The mind is curious. A deeper insights also brings about more more clarity to to the story. When I was reading uh, this book by about Steve Jobs, and you know, it's like, well, what, what's the book about? Well, it's about Steve Jobs, but but it's also about this fascination we have with you know the iPhone, right? Um, but then there's the Apple computer, there's the Mac, and and that's all part of the story. Well. What about Atari, Pixar, Disney, and Microsoft? They're all part of the, the, the Macintosh or the Apple story, which is really about Steve Jobs. And then his partner, which most people don't even know, but uh, you know, they just call him Waz. And nobody really knows who the number two guy is, who's really the guy who actually did all the coding for the Apple. So he should be the guy that we all know his name. But the backstory then, then keeps us and gets us connected to the whole story. And so when we look at the Bible and these characters kind of come in and, and then go away because the main topic is Jesus. He is the main thread that's throughout the whole Bible. But then we are introduced to these other characters but they're connected. And so what, is, what, what about these messengers then? These messengers that, that, that come from God. Um, these chosen messengers. Well, in the Greek, the name for angels is angelos, which if you're from the Los Angeles area, you know it well. Los Angeles is the angels, right? And... Uh, Ironically, my favorite baseball team's the, the Angels, not the Dodgers. Don't like the Dodgers. But when the Angels were first started, they were in Los Angeles. And I remember when it dawned upon me, their name is the Angels Angels. It's like, what, who decided that? Um, but that's Angelos' angel. Well, what is an angel? An angel is a messenger. A messenger who shares the message, not the angel's message, but the message of God. The message is from God. We see throughout the Bible that the, an, an angel of the Lord will, will present himself. And, and what does an angel of the Lord do? Well, they, they bring about messages. They, uh, they come from God. They are sent by the Almighty to praise God. They bring worship for God. They rejoice for great events. They serve uh, at the master's calling. <clears throat> they judge. 
met these, these angels judge, they, they bring answers. Um, so they bring clarity. But most importantly, they're, they're sharing and, and, and bringing about God's word. God's word to mankind. So, so they bring clarity. They bring a lot of clarity. The angel of the Lord is actually different than an angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is a direct reference to the incarnate Christ Jesus. And so we see a, a difference there. But we also see not just angels who are messengers. We also see a lot of humans who are messengers. Uh, these guys usually are called prophets. Uh, they're there are a lot of them in the Old Testament, a handful, I should say. The, the minor prophets in the, the back of your Old Testament pages, the, the little books of the Bible, those are mostly minor prophets or minor messengers. Um, we see big prophets, and they only call minor and, and major, not because of their importance or impact, but because like Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Ezekiel are bigger books. So they're that's just kind of how minor and major prophets. Um, but we've seen these messengers of God. We, we've read about them. Well, today we're going to learn about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who is one of these great messengers. And we want to know, well, who is John the Baptist? We want to know the backstory, right? We, we want to know a little bit more about him. And so we're going to see who John the Baptist is. We're going to see that um, he was prophesied by prophets. We're going to see he was uh, parented uh, by Zacharias and Elizabeth. And then we're going to see that he was prepared for a mission. So three things we're going to see in John the Baptist. Prophesied by prophets, parented by uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, and then prepared for a mission. So who's John the Baptist? Matthew 3.1. First, he was prophesied by prophets. How so? Now, in the days of John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. So who's John the Baptist? Well, first the, the prophets, and one of them here being Isaiah, prophesied about him, prophesied about this messenger who would be coming. Well, a real quick um, bio of, of, of John. One of my favorite things to do when I'm watching a, like a sporting event or you know, a game is you, know, you look at the player bio. You know, like yesterday I, I saw this kid and, you know, his name is Jake Plummer. You know, it's like, Jake Plummer? I wonder, or Jack Plummer. I was like, I knew a Jake Plummer. I mean, you know, Jake the Snake, you know, he's a real good football player. I was like, I wonder if that's his daddy. So, you know, I go to my little iPhone and I want to know the back story of, of Jack. And sure enough, his daddy was Jake. Um, so this is John's kind of, you know, just a, a real quick little kind of grouping of some things that, that we want to kind of get our minds wrapped around. First is the context of time and space. So in Matthew, Matthew is now the transition of the Old Testament, right, to the New Testament. But Jesus has not entered yet. 
um, as far as his ministry in Matthew 1, we see his arrival as a baby. And now Matthew uh, 3, we see this John the Baptist. So in, in time and space, he's in the days of Jesus. He's about six months older than Jesus. And he's going to arrive on the scene about three to four months before Jesus. But keep in mind, there's been about 430 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, 430 years is a long time. You, you can imagine right now as we're on like pins and needles trying to understand end time events and what's going on and what's going on with Israel. But just imagine like 400 years of, I don't know, there's just silence. There's no prophet. There's no Bible. There's no, they, they don't know. And, and now these events and these things are happening. And, and so, you know, your government, you know, shuts everything down. Your government wants to mandate things. Your, you know, your, your government is doing these things that seem so odd and so weird. And then there's these wars going on all over the place. And, but you have had just silence. You don't know. Well, we have God's word. So we have some insights into, oh, this actually looks like what the Bible talked about. So that helps us. Well, right now they're in a, in a place where it's just been silent. Remember, there's not a printing press that's been invented yet. They don't have, you know, thousands of Bibles that are all over the place. The, the New Testament hasn't even taken place in, in real time. This is very similar to Genesis 13 that talks about when Israel was enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And they cry out to God. They cry out, where, where are you? We're, we're slaves. We've been slaves for 400 years. You promised us land. You promised us the seed. You promised us the blessing in the Abrahamic covenant. And we're slaves. And there's silence. Well, that silence is ending right now. John is about to break the silence. Mark 1 reveals that he is the messenger. He's the messenger that Israel should be aching for, should be on their knees for. He's that messenger that, that, that's about to come. Ironically, Jesus in Matthew 11, how about this for a bio? You know, you pull up a bio and you look it up and first thing, Jesus, a quote from Jesus, greatest, greatest man on earth. What, what? Jesus calls this guy the greatest? Um, wow. Well, that's, that's amazing. Why is John the Baptist considered the greatest? from Jesus. Well, it's it's not because of who John the Baptist really is, but it's about his his mission. It's about what's about to happen around uh, John the Baptist. John the Baptist himself, and this is part of what also helps make John great, especially Jesus understand this. John's humble about this. John has this mission, has this role. And what does John say? He, Matthew 3, 11 through 14. I'm not even worthy to carry Jesus' sandals. So Jesus is saying he's the greatest. He's sitting there going, I'm nothing. 
Uh, I'm not even worthy of, of carrying Jesus' sandals. Well, he's also bold. This guy, John the Baptist, is not a powerful or influential man, and yet he's calling out King Herod. He's calling him out for divorcing his wife and then marrying his niece. And he calls it for exactly what it is. And as a reward in Matthew 14, Herod will end up beheading him. So was it a dangerous thing to call out the king? Yes, it was. The king had the power and we, we will see the king will execute that power. And Herod feared John. Why? In Mark 6.20, because he was righteous and holy. This is who this guy is. He's righteous and he's holy. He's humble. He's great. He, he's a messenger. Now, just to clarify, when, when you think of the denomination, the Baptists, right? Uh, that's not referring to any tie into John the Baptist. Okay, there's some confusion there. It's not Southern Baptists either. So uh, it's, it, this is not a denominational thing. This is John, and then he's given the name John the Baptist because when he came in, he baptizes. Okay, so back to who he is. The, the first uh, prophesied, he was the first, um, or first, he was prophesied by the prophets. Let's look at Malachi. Malachi, again, about 400 years earlier, we're told in Malachi 3, hold, and 3, 1, behold, so God is telling Malachi, the, the prophet, the messenger, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Well, what a proclamation. So here we have... God instructing Malachi that, look, I'm going to send a messenger who is going to pave the way. He's going to pave the way. And he's the one that you're, you're seeking. He's the great Messiah. He's the, the promised hope. This is the one. And so before the coming of this great and terrible day, in the end, first, first things first, God is going to send his messenger. This is a massive step. This is a massive step between the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and the New is going to be this transition. And we, we see it embedded here. Part of his coming is going to be the messenger of the covenant. The messenger of the covenant. Well, what covenant? The, the Old Covenant? The Mosaic Covenant? The Davidic Covenant? The, the um, Priestly Covenant? No. This is going to be the new covenant. Okay, well, the new covenant, this is going to shock you, is new. Right? The Mosaic covenant or is, is the old covenant. Well, there's this promised new covenant that, that's been talked about in Isaiah. Um, it's been talked about in, in Ezekiel. And so he says, look, there's going to be this coming covenant. Well, let me read it to you uh, what this is. Uh, Ezekiel 36, starting at verse 22. Now, you, you got to remember that 
that this is a, is a prophecy that hasn't happened yet. I mean, I mean, we take this for granted, but but this hasn't happened. Therefore, Ezekiel thirty six twenty two, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. So again, nothing has really changed with Israel. Israel rejects God constantly, turns against God, but not because of Israel, because of God's holy name. Verse 23, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and you have profaned in their midst, then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. Verse 24, for I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Remember, Israel's been divided. Israel's been conquered. Israel's been 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 taken away to, to Babylon and Persia and you know, Syria. And, and this is like become the way of Israel to be conquered by other nations. And here's God saying, I am going to bring you back into the land. Verse 25, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean and I will cleanse you from all the filthiness and from your idols. This is a spiritual cleansing. Verse 23, and I, and here it is, will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Hold the fort. This is totally different. This is totally new. God is saying, look, this is what's going to happen. You used to sin. You, you have... You're, you're born desperately sick and wicked in your heart, Jeremiah says. But look, I'm going to give you a new desire in your heart. We, everybody in this room, did not go on like some spiritual crusade to find God. God reached out and grabbed you by the heart and pulled you in. And that's what he says he's going to do. I will do this. Quite frankly, if we were honest in this room and say, I never wanted God. I never wanted to go to church. I never wanted to do Jesus-y things. I couldn't help it. I don't even know why. It was like a calling. It was a drawing. That, that was God performing the new, the new covenant because before it was, well, if you sin, you go to temple, you lay a sacrifice, you walk away, you do it again. It says, no, no, no. Before the Holy Spirit would come upon Saul, would come upon David, and then it would leave and go away. Now he says, I'm going to put the Spirit in you, in you, in you, in you, in you. The Holy Spirit is going to reside in your body. Your body is going to be the temple for the Holy Spirit, not a box, not a tent, not a palace. You are going to be where the Holy Spirit resides. Whoa, totally different, totally different deal. But a completion of it in the same breath, a completion of the old covenant into the new. Verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Our obedience 
The power of the cross is fulfilled because the Holy Spirit, at times we're called to be careful to observe the ordinances and the commandments and to obey, but quite frankly, sometimes we need to be made to obey. He needs to grab us by the throat, reach out with the Spirit, and make us walk by His statutes. Otherwise, on our own, we wouldn't want to do it. We're by nature sin creatures. That's what we want to do. Verse 28, and you will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers. And so you will be my people and I will be your God. And again, you have to realize they've been a conquered nation and God's telling them, you're going to go back. You're going to go back. I will do it for you. It's a powerful thing for us to, to remember too. We think we're in control. We think we're navigating. We think we're plotting, strategizing. We think we're going to like outrace all that's happening, right? And God's, you know what? I will do it. I will take care of you. I have a plan to put in place. Verse 29, I will save you from all uncleanliness. I don't need your goats and your bulls. I will call for grain and multiply. I will not bring a famine on you and I will multiply the fruit of the tree and produce of the field that you may not receive again the disgrace of famine among the nations. Wow, what a promise. And all of that, just in this little phrase in Malachi 3.1 that just really gets unnoticed when he says the messenger of the covenant. See how that happens? It just kind of whips by. And it's not enough that God gives us the, the new commandment promise in Isaiah and Ezekiel. And then Malachi reminds Israel, hey, this is going to happen. And then we turn back to, to Matthew and it says, okay, here comes John the Baptist. And he's going to be the voice prophesied by the prophets beginning with Malachi. Well, in Mark 1, 1 through 4, another parallel passage, Mark Chapter 1. This is part of the nuance of the different Gospels, why we want to read them all. But again, Mark 1, 1 through 4. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. So first we're looking at Malachi, now Isaiah. Behold, I send you my messenger. Sound familiar? Before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And so we see again in Isaiah that there is this promise of, of this messenger. Well, when we turn back to Isaiah and, and take the time to, to turn back and, and, and look at these things, because usually there's even more. So usually in the New Testament, it's kind of quoting the old, and so there's there's more. So when we go to Isaiah 40, beginning of verse 3, a voice calling is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Aha! The point of the messenger is what? For the glory of the Lord to be revealed. It's not revealed at this time. 
it's hidden. It's unknown. They don't get it. They don't know. They've been in silence for 430 years. And so the messenger then has, has a job and his job is to reveal the glory of the Lord being revealed. What, what an unbelievable, beautiful task that this guy, John the Baptist, has is to reveal the glory of the Lord. And it was first prophesied by the prophets. The prophets say that he's going to come from the wilderness. Matthew 3, uh, verse 3, the voice is crying in the wilderness. Well, what do we see? We see that John the Baptist is not glamorous. He's not a, 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 a famous, you know, rich preacher and sneakers guy. Uh, I think I mentioned this to you a few years ago. There's, you know, there's like this Instagram website of takes pictures of, of popular preachers in their, you know, like $500,000 sneakers. They're preachers and sneakers. I mean, how crazy is that? That not only would there be one, that there would be a couple, that there would be enough to have a whole like a Instagram account revolving around glamorous preachers. Well, this isn't John the Baptist. John the Baptist is not that guy. John the Baptist comes from the wilderness. And Luke 180 reveals that the child lived, he lived as a child in the desert for many years until he was on his public appearance, his release. He wore garments of camel hair, a leather belt. He ate locusts and honey. I actually looked up on, on YouTube. Can you eat locusts and honey? And the guy to get his locust needed a bow and arrow. That's how big the locust was, right? And it's like, okay, so maybe you can eat locusts. Well, when he pulls it apart, there's just a little kind of little piece of, of morsel or whatever. But the answer is you can eat locusts and you don't want to eat locusts without the honey. That's what I learned too. So locusts and honey, like that's, that, that matches. It's probably more the, the locusts. It's kind of like cockroaches and honey, I guess. But um, <laughs> hey, it happens. It happens. But again, as background, th this is the one that's prophesied. The prophecy of God bringing the guy who's proclaiming the glory of the Lord. He's not this like popular, amazing person that we traditionally are so drawn to, right? We're so drawn to that kind of a thing. That's not how God works. So unlike today. So John has this great and unique position. And this is his greatness is declaring that the great one is actually coming. And he has the honor of ushering in the new covenant and, and he does this in a humble and faithful way, in a humble and faithful way. Well, the second part to who is John the Baptist is he's parented by Zacharias and Elizabeth. Now, normally you would say, I mean, who cares about the parents, right? Well, it's kind of part of the backstory. So turn with me to Luke 1, and we'll, we'll actually camp here at Luke 1. Luke 1, beginning at verse... In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a certain priest named Zacharias 
of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. And they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Well, <clears throat> here's John the Baptist's parents. John the Baptist's parents are, are righteous people. They're right. What, what does that mean? That means that they would perform their sacrifices. They would go to the feasts. They would do them in the, the religious ceremonial way. They, they were practicing, uh, you know, Israelite believers. Okay. Uh, they were considered blameless and they, they kept all the ordinances. They, they kept all the dates and, and requirements. And so they, they were faithful. Uh, Zacharias was actually a, a priest. And so as a priest primarily do, a priest primarily like does the temple offerings, right? He would slay the, the, the lambs on, on day of atonement. He would take in the grain offerings. That was, that was his job. And that's what he would do. And so he was, you know, uh, a, a good man, him and his wife. Um, but they were, they were without child. They were, they, they were barren. Verse 8, now it came about while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of his priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, when you were a, a temple priest, they had many priests, and it was a great honor to do certain functions. You don't have 10 guys light the incense, right? You know, have 10 guys going to the Holy Holy. So he drew the lot and he had at, at this time of the year the, the, um, the privilege of being able to do this. Remember when you'd go back in the Holy of Holies, you'd go back alone, right? And they'd tie the rope around you. Because if you did anything wrong, then God would strike them dead and they would just pull you out because only one person's allowed in there. So they strictly would obey that rule. And so they're, you know, following their, 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 service duties and uh, so he's been chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense and the whole multitude of people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering so that's how it worked in temple like everybody would be outside and the one priest would go inside right that's why he was the mediator between the people and God that's why it's so much better Today, you can go directly to God and, 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 and the mediator, you know, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is, is the only thing between you and God. You don't need a man. You don't need a priest. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw him and fear gripped him. So we see that Zacharias is... is Honorable. We see that he's performing his priestly duties. He see that he's seems like he's doing a good job, and he's, and him and his wife are, are barren. They're with without child, and so what do they do? Verse thirteen. But an angel said to him, "Don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John." And you will have joy and gladness and may rejoice at his birth. 
So he's been told that you and your wife are going to have a child. Now they've been praying for that, right? We've been told that this is what they're praying for. So like most of us, there's usually like this certain thing that comes up a lot that we pray about a lot. Um, well, this is like one of their things is they can't have children and they're both advanced in years. They're, they're, they're not young, but, but they're praying nonetheless. So what happens? Well, an angel of the Lord appears. A, a messenger appears to, to Zacharias in the temple. He's in the temple, right? So, you know, if I went back to this little room and it's just me and all of a sudden here's an appearance of an angel of the Lord. And so when he sees him, well, he's afraid. And that's usually the response when people come in the presence of, of God or an angel of the Lord of some kind. The, the, the awesomeness of the presence of the, of the spiritual being, you're in fear and awe. Uh, it's not usually high five time. It, it's respect and awe. And so that's kind of his disposition b- before uh, this angel. Now, again, keep in mind, he has been praying about this, but he's more fearful of the awe than he's excited about the news that, that your prayers have been answered. I'm, I'm here to answer your prayers. Now, this is an interesting thing that we see in the pattern of God. We see in God's powerful pattern, this interesting pattern of he seems to like to use barren women, older barren women, to give birth to people who are going to be like people of significance. We saw it with Sarah, right? Back in Genesis, Abraham and Sarah. We saw it with Rebecca. We saw it with Rachel. We saw it with Hannah. Remember, Hannah was barren and prayed for, for a child. We saw it with Sam, Samson's mother was, was barren. Then we see it here with Elizabeth, and we're going to see it also with, with Mary, right? In, in a different way, not barren, but because she was virgin. So uh, the angel of the Lord is speaking directly now to Zacharias, which is a, a special thing. And he is told that John the Baptist, th- this one that is coming, your child who we're giving to you, he is going to be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, Spirit while yet in the mother's womb. Now again, we know that life begins at conception. We know that human life is in pregnancy, and, and so there shouldn't be any confusion. But here's a little passage here that kind of reminds us that that life that's in the womb is a life, right? And God is saying that, that John the Baptist, while in the womb, is actually filled with the Holy Spirit. That's incredible. What an incredible thing to just kind of take in for a second. Um, now, Elizabeth is also Mary's relative. We, we know that from, uh, from Luke 136. And so... Zacharias and Elizabeth, they're about to have this this child, and God is telling them and keeping them in the loop. Now, technically, he doesn't have to do that. They could just 
have a baby, right? Why does God make a miracle baby situation? Why does God intervene and, and send an angel of the Lord to, to speak to John the Baptist's parents? Well, God wants to make sure that they know exactly what's going on. Because John the Baptist is, gonna, is, is special. He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord, right? He has a special mission that, that is going to take place. And so that mission is he is going to be the one who introduces the world to Jesus. So his, his mission, his job is that he's going to be the one that introduces the guy who takes away the sins of the world. Um, well, that's a special thing. We, we, we want to get this right. <laughs> you know, we want to make sure that everything is, is in, its, in its right place. But there's a problem. Verse 18, Zechariah says to the angel, Well, how shall I know for certain? For I am old and my wife is advanced in years. And an angel, that angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. Kind of a big thing, you know? Um, not just like a random angel. Like I, I'm like with God. I'm coming from God. I speak for God directly, okay? I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which shall be fulfilled in their proper time. And the people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. They know about how long it takes, right? They're all out there and they're waiting. And where's this guy? What's going on? And he comes out and he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and kept making signs to them and remained mute. And it came about when the days of his priestly service were ended that he went back home. So, angel of the Lord is speaking to Zacharias. He's in fear of awe, realizing that this is an angel of the Lord, but he doesn't believe what the angel tells him. Remember Joseph? Remember Joseph, Mary's husband? He just does what the angel of the Lord says, right? See, there's a difference here. Now, this is the scary part. Because Zacharias is a righteous guy. Zacharias walks, you know, said he walks blameless and he obeys all the commandments and requirements. And, and I mean, he's a clergyman for Pete's sakes. You know, he's a man of, of the cloth. He's a godly man and he does temple sacrifices on behalf of other people. I mean, this is not an evil, wicked, bad man. But this is what's scary is that he doesn't have the faith he doesn't really believe in his heart and in his mind. And so he asks a clarifying question. Now we would say, good question. Make sure. Double check. Right? What does this say about how God thinks of our relationship with him? That, that, that's what makes me stop and just ponder and think, how many times has, has God spoken through his word? How many times have, have I prayed? They're in prayer for this. 
There should be rejoicing. There should be, hey, you know what? By the way, I keep a prayer journal and, and God answered my number one prayer in my prayer journal. I, I've had some amazing privileges of, of God answering prayers in my prayer journals, answering prayers that I specifically put in there to be miraculous, to be out of my hands so that I would know Tony Jamie did not cause this to happen. And, and when that happens, it, it's, it's an amazing thing. It is, a, it is an absolutely amazing thing. Um, I mean, I'll share a story. I, when I first went to Rainier Christian Schools, my, my first job there was to be the development director. And that's the guy who like raises money. And I had this brand new leather journal somebody had given me and I was, all right, this is going to be a day one kind of a thing. My prayer specifically for the school. And, and as I thought about it and, and, and started writing down, it's like, Lord, because we were in bad shape financially. And it's like, Lord, um, we need a million dollars. Now, at that time, I think the largest gift in the school's history was 50000 There weren't like rich people rolling around or anything like that. I said, we need a million dollars. My job is to raise money, right? And I don't want it to have anything to do with me. It can't have anything to do with me. It's like, well, that's kind of weird. But I, I, I wanted it to come from the Lord. I wanted to know that, that God was blessing this place, that, that this was a God thing. And I served there for a couple years as the development director. Then I left for a couple years and went to Sal's Union Gospel Mission. And when they called me back as, as superintendent, so now I'm the head of the school. And, and on day one, I sit down at my desk and I'm getting ready to pray. And there's an envelope on my, on my desk. And so I, I open that up and I'm reading it. And it's a million dollar donation. And I mean, you want to talk about just my heart dropping and it's like, well, it was day one. So I didn't have anything to do with this gift. And it was just like, okay, here, here's how we're going to start your ministry as superintendent at the school by answering your prayer from four years ago. Right now, I think God may have had a different view if I had said, really? Can we verify the funds on this? Because I, I, you know, I'm 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 poor and we don't have money and I don't know anybody. You know, so the excuses come. God doesn't want our excuses. He wants our faith, and that's a hard thing for us. It's a really hard thing to to throw it out there. That's why Hannah is one of my heroes. Hannah is barren. She wants a child. She has a rival. Somebody's looking at her in the face and mocking her and teasing her for not having a child. And she keeps the faith. Lord, if you give me a child, I will dedicate him to you. And the Lord blesses her with Samuel. He answers her prayer. God is a God who answers prayer. God is a God who answers prayers with miracles and things that are out and out of our control and, and beyond us. And so as he's preparing John the Baptist, he gives them these, these two parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth. But you know what? They need to have an impact on raising this kid, right? 
And so they need to be right. It's very difficult for the child to do well when the parents are, are not on the right page. It can happen. But in this way, God wanted them to be on the right page. Well, as we move forward in this story, we see in verse 57. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her. What a beautiful Everybody knows that she's barren and it's the Lord who's, who's given her great mercy. And they were rejoicing with her. And it came about on the eighth day came to circumcise the child. They're just being obedient, circumcised on the eighth day. And they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. And his mother answered and said, no, indeed, he shall be called John. And so they were instructed to call him John. And so she's like, we're calling him John. She is, you know, demanding that they're going to be obedient, obedient to, to uh, calling him by, by the name of John. And they said to her, there's no one among your relatives is called that by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him to be called. Because remember, Zacharias is a mute right now because he's being punished. Um, and, he, and verse 63, and he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, his name is John. Now remember, he wasn't quite sure that they could get pregnant. What's going on? Well, now he's had nine months to see the pregnancy. And so he's on board, but he still can't speak. And so he's on full board. They're going to name him John. And at once his mouth was open. At once his mouth was opened. And his tongue loosened and he began to speak in praise of God. And fear came on all those living around them. And these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard kept them in their midst saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with them. What, a, what an awesome testimony that everybody would know. We would all know if somebody here was barren. And then they claim that the angel of the Lord came and said, well, you're not going to be barren. You're going to have a baby. And then daddy didn't believe. And so dad was struck a deaf mute. And then lo and behold, she was pregnant. And so everybody's looking around going, whoa, uh, things are happening here. And then for nine months, he can't talk. It's like, um, okay. And then all of a sudden, when baby's born, they go to him and they say, well, what's his name? And he, he, he's in the affirmation of calling him John. Immediately, he can speak. And what's the first thing he does? He just starts praising God, right? Because he's been having a long time to think about what's going on. And he knows without shadow of a doubt, I've got this special messenger who's going to proclaim the glory of God. What, what, a, what a beautiful thing. And, the, and, I, and I love what it says here. Of all the words, words matter, words matter, words matter. Of all the words, verse 65, and fear came to those around them. Why fear? Why fear? See, this is our number one problem that we have. We don't fear God enough. We don't fear God. See, Zacharias didn't really fear God. It made his faith a little loose. 
Now everybody around him goes, you know, the Lord God Almighty is all powerful. He's so kind and gracious. He can give life. But you know what? He demands your faith. 100% all in. And if you don't give it to him, then there will be discipline. And it makes me wonder, how many times was my faith just off, right? I believe, I, 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 I fall, but it, nah, your truth be known, and God knows where you're really at. Um, and so, fear, awe, knowing that the Lord of the universe is in all control, in all power. That's an important thing for us to understand. And for us to understand that everybody does not go to heaven, that you got to believe, you got to be all in. And if you're not, then he has a place reserved for you. You should fear God. If nothing else, just for a nine-month discipline of, of being mute. Well, we'll stop here today and continue this because John the Baptist is an important figure and there's not much written about him, but what's written about him is so powerful. And we already see that he's prophesied by prophets, but then we see this just unbelievable supernatural miracle that happens with his parents. All this for the messenger. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the clarity Lord, it's important for us to understand that John the Baptist came to talk about the Son. He was not the Son. Jesus was the chosen Son. Jesus was the one. And, and John the Baptist had no problem relinquishing that, just that power, that authority, that, that acclamation. He, he knew his role and his role was special and unique. And so, Lord, it's important for us to realize that too, that, that we have a place and a role. And it might not be uh, as a prophet, but Lord, whatever the role that you've designed for us, whether it's Elizabeth or Zacharias or John the Baptist, Lord, that we're faithful to complete it. Lord, we pray that we would be faithful, that we would fa be faithful in everything that we think, that we do, that we believe, and that we're challenged. We're challenged so that we can prove our love to you and show our gratitude and show our, 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 our devotion to the Lord God Almighty. We pray these things in your name. Amen.